Well, what is it to glorify God? Um, a lot of things encourage us to do that, invite us to do that. In fact, I asked that question one time at a, in a home group, and people were popping off different little ideas and suggestions. But uh, one lady said it that forever has captured it for me. She said, to glorify God is simply uh, to live so he is seen in his best light. Because glory refers to light, and the glory of God was always manifest in his, the brilliance of his splendor. Uh, as uh, one poet put, the bright effulgence of his being. Well, how is it that we as people can glorify God? We read in the scriptures that uh, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies, I love this uh, new living translation. It says, the skies display his craftsmanship, his ingenious putting together of everything. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound. Uh, or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Then uh, David, as he no doubt was out uh, contemplating the stars, maybe while he was herding sheep, or maybe even after he was a great king. Uh, We don't know just when he penned these, but we know in, in Psalm 8, he bursts out with this, O Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When we were uh, camping with our boys, uh, when they were junior high and high school, we'd go camping all over places. One of our favorite places was over in central Oregon, uh, over by Camp Sherman on the Metolius River. And uh, to this day, my boys will remind me about how I was always rousting them out in the dark of night, say, grab your sleeping bag or a blanket and come on. And we would go out into an open area and spread a blanket or the sleeping bag on the ground and then lay back and look at the stars. You ever do that? Sometimes we get in such a hurry, and especially living around where there are lights always around us, it's hard sometimes to see the stars. That's one thing I love about uh, working with you all over here on this side of the, of the state. Uh, there in Oregon City where I live, it's hard to see the stars. Uh, not just because of the ambient light, but because of the clouds so frequently present. So I love to get out and see the stars. When you look at the stars and the vastness of the heavens, you see the great Milky Way. Uh, Maybe you watch the eclipse of a moon, or perhaps you got to watch the eclipse of the sun. Uh, My wife and I watched that and just was wowed out over and over and over. We see all that going on, and we're amazed at God. Not everybody is. Not everybody knows that the created order of things is intended to make God known. 
We know that God reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself in the scriptures, in the word of God. And he has ultimately revealed himself in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, we read these very familiar verses. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now notice he says, the words, the content of the gospel has power. It has power to bring new life to whoever responds in faith. Paul goes on, for, it, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous by faith shall live. Now I changed the word order there to fit the original language because I think Paul was trying to make a point in his quoting of this uh, Old Testament passage. The just shall live by faith. Throughout the book of Romans, he's going to make the case that we live by faith and not by works. We live by the righteousness that God gives us, not by the righteousness that we can crank up on our own. And so he puts it literally, the righteous by faith shall live. Not the righteous by works, but the righteous by faith. Then notice what he says, not only is the gospel revealed, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident. Now, when you ever have opportunity to talk with a true God, talk about the true God with somebody, don't forget that they're already aware. They're already aware. They may have come up with a way to suppress and push that out of their awareness, but God has revealed to people through creation that he exists. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they're without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And then here's the clincher for today. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, or the creation, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, the creation was given not for us to worship it, but for us to be reminded of who God is. There's a great uh, old Peanuts cartoon. We've got uh, Lucy and Charlie Brown sitting there on a dark night, and they're looking at all the stars, and Charlie Brown says, makes you feel kind of insignificant, doesn't it? 
Well, God did not create the vast expanse of the universe to make us feel puny, although it serves a good purpose in doing that. God created it to let us see how big and how great and how powerful he is. That's why it's there. And to be reminded that he doesn't forget us, just like David said, when he contemplated all of that, he had to ask, well, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you would visit him? Who are we on this little speck of dust? Uh, One of the uh, early space exploring satellites as it transitioned beyond our solar system several years ago, uh, they were able to manipulate it and turn the cameras back and aim those cameras right where planet Earth ought to be. And there was nothing but a blur of stars and so forth But as the uh, astronomer said, as chance would have it, the angle was just right so that the earth was identifiable as a tiny blue speck. That's where we live, that little tiny blue speck. And yet God thinks about us. The Son of God came here to take away the sins that had brought death and degeneracy into the entire created order. We are told in Romans 8, uh, beginning about the middle of the chapter, that the creation groans, waiting for the redemption of our bodies, waiting for the resurrection of God's people so that we can enter into his new creation, the new heaven and new earth. Boy, if we look at this one and think it's awesome... I can hardly wait for the new one. That is really going to be something. It's worth getting ready for. Well, as God has revealed himself in the vastness of creation, uh, he also shows us things of his ingenuity in small things. Here's a cross-section of uh, the shell of a chambered nautilus. And for millennia, this has fascinated mankind with its precision with which it is formed. Um, I could probably ask Dwayne to do some mathematical calculations for us and come up with it, but there's a very precise mathematical formula that this spiral conforms to. The same is exactly the same. It's in the universe, out in the big galaxies. They form according to this same pattern. Do you think that God is up to something? Yeah, I think he is. He's got a pattern, and he also reveals to us, his people, that he has a purpose. Here's a humble little sunflower, but look at that spiral right there. Perfect precision, just right. You find this throughout creation. Uh, I think it was an Italian mathematician, Fibonacci, came up with a, a order of numbers uh, that occur throughout nature. Uh, It occurs as you look at the leaves on the branch on a tree. Uh, The sequence goes uh, 1 plus 1 is 2, 1 plus 2 is 3, 2 plus 3 is 5, 3 plus 5, uh uh-oh, I'm getting into upper math. But that's the way the thing unfolds. And it's constant. It appears everywhere. So I think God is up to something. He wants us to know that he is a God of order. He's a God of orderliness, of beauty, of goodness, 
and of creativity. Now, one of the things that we're going to look at today is to see how uh, God wants generations knit together uh, in, among his people especially. Now, there's, God has given us a great little uh, object lesson. Have you ever wondered how come you have five fingers? Why not 12? Could grab, you could hold more cookies. Uh, why not seven? Well, we have five fingers, uh, most of us, I believe, as a little living illustration, at least. Uh, it worked for my kids when I explained this, and uh, maybe it'll be helpful to you. It's easy to keep on hand this reminder. God gives us the reality in his word that he wants five generations knit together in love. Now, if this is you, uh, God wants you to, of course, take care of your children and your grandchildren. That's very clear in the word of God, Psalm 78. You read elsewhere in the scriptures that we are to honor our parents. That's one of the Ten Commandments, it's the first commandment that has a great promise to it. It's also reiterated in the New Testament and in the book of First Timothy, it says that we are to uh, return to our parents what they have provided for us. That is, I uh, like the old King James, to requite our parents. And then we are told that we are responsible to care for our grandparents. So we have five generations working together there. Now, if you stop and think about the strength of that, uh, it ought to begin to boggle your mind like looking at a galaxy through a telescope. Because God has ordered things so that if we respond to his order and believe and obey him, then each generation doesn't have to learn stuff the hard way. But now we live in a world where Uh, One of the cultural myths that deceives countless people is that there is such a thing as a generation gap. Do you know the word teenager was never used until the 1940s? Now, I know that's older than some of you, but uh, you see, it's a very new thing in the history of mankind that one generation really can just be totally cut off from the others. God never intended it to work that way. Any more than God would intend the planet Jupiter decide to come whizzing into our orbit. That would really mess things up. You see, when things stay in the order in which God intends, there's beauty, there's reliability, and there's opportunities for each generation to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as we look here in um, Titus chapter 2, how we can glorify God by letting him be seen in his best light, uh, follow along as we take a read through this and make a few comments, beginning at verse 1 in chapter 2 of Titus. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise. Now pay attention to that word likewise because it goes back and it pulls in what he has said regarding older women, older men, brings it into the discussion about older women, 
But the nifty thing about this word likewise is it works both ways. And so everybody needs to pay attention to everything that's going on here. You can't say, oh, well, that's for the older women. I don't need to listen. Yes, you do, guys. Well, that's for the young men. I don't need to listen. Yes, you do, all you women. It's all for all of us. So let's pay attention as he focuses on particular categories. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. To be reverent means to live in the awareness that you are in the presence of God. We are always in the presence of God. The psalmist asks, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? There's no place I can go. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the most remote parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say to the dark, ah, it will cover me. No, because the dark is just like light to God. You see, we can never get away from the presence of God. That's a good thing. And it's a solemn thing. But to be, re, to be reverent means to live in the presence of God. What a wonderful thing that does to a person's character, to live in the presence of God. Uh, begins to transform the whole person. And people can see that. They may not know what they're looking at, but they can see there's something different, and it's very appealing. To be reverent doesn't mean just to be quiet and not make noise and don't fidget around in church. No, reverence means the presence of God is with us. And so that impacts behavior, we read here. Then, not malicious gossips. The word malicious is very uh, picturesque. It's a word from which we derive our English word diabolical. There's something about gossip that is devilish, at the core. And whenever a person, man or woman, boy or girl, gossips, they're actually speaking satanic stuff into the conversation. Now, if you stop and think about that, who would ever want to do it? But you see, it's part of the old human nature, and we get habits of doing that. And God wants his people to be done with that. Gossip should never be part of the life of a Christian, nor enslaved to much wine, that is, not overcome by any addictive uh, substance or even addictive activity. Now, they are to do so so that they can be teaching what is good. That's a good question. What is good? Well, he goes on and opens up what he means by teaching what is good. Verse 4 so that they may encourage or train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. I like to have uh, a little fun whenever I've taught at marriage retreats over the years. Cheryl and I have done a number of those and One of the things that I like to say to the group is, husbands, God says, love your wife. That's that sacrificial, agape kind of love. It's the kind of love that 
the pagans referred to when they were worshiping their idols. And so for people to love one another was very strange in that setting, to have this kind of agape kind of love. Now, men, you're to love your wife. But do you know, wives, Bible never says you're supposed to love your husband. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Didn't we just see it here? Well, unfortunately, the English didn't capture it because the second time there, when it says young wives are, are to love their husband, love their children, it's using a term that you would understand by uh, the name of the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's the phila part of that word that refers to a friendly affection. Wives are supposed to love their husbands with agape love, but here's a high calling, is to befriend your husband. I don't know if you've ever watched Fiddler on the Roof. Remember that section where Tevye is singing to his wife, Do you love me? Well, of course I love you. I mend your socks and fix your shirts and da-da-da. And he says, but do you love me? And she says, well, sure. You know, what was he asking? He was asking, am I really your friend? Do you hold real affection for me? Or am I just somebody that you have to do stuff for? Well, it's revolutionary when a wife can befriend her husband, as well as her children. Love them, of course, but have this fond affection that nothing else can replace. And this was an instruction that was necessary in the culture there in the first century of Crete. It was also part of the culture of um, uh, what we now call Turkey, up in that region where uh, the city of Ephesus was. Uh, Young women would often get married and then figure, well, they had it made and they would just become gadabouts and gossips about and so forth. And Paul had to give instruction against that. And the best way to overcome that is to be best friends with your husband. And then he's not going to be looking for a best friend in another woman. It's a powerful thing in God's order if we pay attention to it. So where are we? Well, so far, we see that men, older men and younger men, are to value grace and truth above possessions, position, and power. Notice how often he talks about the way we think, the way we exercise self-control or don't, uh, the way that we demonstrate our faith, the way that we demonstrate our love, and then the way that we demonstrate our steadfastness or our perseverance as men. That means we just don't give up when the going gets tough. Uh, We hang in there trusting in God who is ever-present, who is always with us. And so reverence is a valuable uh, trait to cultivate in the life of any man so that we, like Christ, can be full of grace and truth and not get carried off with all of the other things that draw people into uh, terrible, uh, terrible things. 
Now, God never says that possessions are bad. He never says money is bad. They're merely tools to get on with glorifying God by living according to his purpose. But it's when we have a love of those things, uh, when our affections and our desires are focused on those things, that we begin to live in a way that definitely does not glorify God. And we might summarize the instruction to women as to value the approval of God more than the approval of people. Now remember this little uh, likewise joiner in here. Uh, Men likewise ought to live so that they value the approval of God more than the approval of people. And women should live so as to value grace and truth more than possessions or position or power uh, that the world may seek after. These are very different things. Notice he doesn't say anything about uh, be sure that you uh, make enough to retire on. That's a good advice. That's part of living a sensible life. But he doesn't put the emphasis on so many things that the world says you have to have in order to get by. Now, a reminder that these things can be passed from generation to generation when the five generations are knit together in real love. Um, Speaking of economics and the capability to do things in the kingdom of heaven, um, if generations would be careful to do what God says with regard to that, there will arise a class of Christians that are free to serve God without counting their checkbook all the time. You never have to go back and say, well, can I afford to do this? I really believe that's something that generations can build and can do it deliberately. I have the blessing of uh, my granddad and my dad uh, starting off in agribusness, working hard. We, we did a lot of hard work. I grew up farming and making farms out of sagebrush country and so forth. Had a lot of tough times. But today, I am able to do what I'm able to do and not worry about the bank account. God's people have been very gracious to us, uh, but my dad, my granddad, my dad uh, gave us, my brother and two sisters and I, an inheritance that we are using, all four of us, (laughs) are using in the kingdom of God and for his service. And so this can be a reality when we trust God and do things his way. Now, in God's great design of things, don't you think work ought to fit in there? Um, Because we spend most of our time, most of our adult life, at work. Uh, Between eight hours on the job and eight hours in bed, pretty well uses up most of our life. We only have one-third to try to do something else. Well, our work really is part of God's plan and purpose. Our vocations are woven in to God's plan. Here's something that is very important to be aware of and to live like this because it's true. You're in the neighborhood you're in because of God who is present with you And God strategically places his people. 
You're in the school you're in. You're in the job you're in. You have the business you have because God strategically places his people so that he can be seen in his best light, so that we can glorify him. And those networks that we might take for granted are very significant to God Almighty. In fact, he gives instructions here uh, for uh, those who are employed. See what he says beginning of verse 9. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Christians uh, are to live day to day as examples of who our God is. Do you know he created us to bear his image? That means to accurately represent him here on planet earth. We are to be characterized as those who do good deeds, good works that occurs six times in this little short book of Titus. It's very important that God's people be diligent to do what is good. Uh, that we are ready to be teaching the truth about who God is, that we are people with integrity. Integrity, uh, to me, is a very wonderful thing because uh, it's hard to achieve and hard to maintain. Uh, When I was in the Navy, we used to... uh, I wasn't part of it, but I saw some of the other guys doing it, where they would seal off a compartment, maybe where... Uh, there was a small office or something like that. They'd seal it all off, lock all the hatches, and then they had a place where they could pump air into that. And they would put a gauge on this little valve, and then they would come back in a couple hours and see if the gauge had gone down. If the compartment was not airtight, it was labeled as not having integrity. You see, if you lose it under pressure, you don't have integrity. And God wants his people to be full of integrity, dignity, sound in speech. And look at Christian employees. (laughs) Supposed to be obedient. Well, do you know that just applies to everybody? We got to be obeying somebody somewhere all the time. And if you think you're out in the boonies and don't have to obey anybody who's there with you. <laughs> the Lord God. So you might as well get along with him too. Uh, but to be obedient, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. This has become almost a uh, profession in itself. Uh, stealing. Stealing. Stealing from your employer. Uh, clothing shops, clothing stores, uh, even the big ones. Always have to factor in uh, employees pilfering things. They wish they could stop it, but it just goes on. Another story out of the Navy when uh, uh, this is just a story about the guy that was leaving the base and he's coming along running a wheelbarrow and he's got a, a heavy toolbox in there. So the guard at the gate says, hold it right there. Let me check that out. Opens up the toolbox and Sure enough, all these tools in there are appropriately labeled and they do belong to this guy. Okay, go on. 
Next day, here comes a guy wheeling his wheelbarrow along with a toolbox. Another guard says, hold it, buddy, right there. Opens the toolbox, checks it out, says, well, okay, go on. Well, he kept doing this day after day. Well, one of his friends said, how come you're always wheeling your toolbox home? Why don't you just throw it in my car? I'll hold it home for you. And the guy said, no way, you wouldn't believe all the nice wheelbarrows I've got. Pilfering is stealing. It's thievery. And God, in his basic permissions, the Ten Commandments, said you don't have to live that way. Do not steal because, because he is God. We don't need to do that. We can trust him to provide for us. And one of the main ways that he provides for us is through the activity of work. Uh, we are to show all good faith so that we can adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Now, the pattern of Christ living in us ought to begin to show eventually. It comes out according to what Jesus taught um, there in Mark 7. He said, what is in the heart comes out. The way we talk reveals what's in our heart. So listen to what you say. Um, (laughs) I once heard a a preacher say that he knew a guy that when you'd ask him his view on something, I says, well, I don't know what I think till I hear what I have to say. Well, uh, listen to what you're saying. It can reveal what's going on in your heart, how you think, how you decide. That shows what we really value, uh, how we behave, and our moral character comes out because it's what's in the heart that is going to be revealed. And so as we cultivate the reality of Christ in us, in our union with Christ, and by the Holy Spirit, trust Christ to live his life in us and to live our life as if he were living it, it makes a big difference. We begin to glorify God. Now we might ask ourselves, well, why does it matter? Why does all of this matter? Why why uh, even talk about it? Why encourage one another to live this way? Well, I want to draw your attention to a couple little phrases. At the beginning of verse 4, it says, with respect to the older women teaching the younger, so that they may encourage young women to love their husbands, etc., etc. End of verse 5 so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Then look at verse 8 in the instruction to Titus. Be of sound speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And then in the address to employees, uh, we are to conduct ourselves in honorable ways, so that... They will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. To adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you ladies used a little makeup before you came this morning? Now, how many of you guys? Hmm? Okay. Well, I tried to comb my hair, but there's not much to comb anymore. Um, 
But you see, we try to adorn our appearance. And God likes to be adorned as we represent him to people. We want him to be seen in his best light. So the challenge today is live so that God is seen in his best light. That's, uh, that's part of what makes for a healthy church. As uh, we go forward in um, this transition process that we're in, um, the uh, search, search team has uh, some news for us. Uh, Bill, I want to ask you to come on up and uh, pray that uh, God will be pleased to send a person that can help you all better learn what it is to live so that God is always seen in his best light. Let me get a mic for you here. <clears throat> 